Hello, and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I am your host, R.T. Fleming. I'm here to help you find your next digital pick from the golden age to the present. Since I was a kid, I have been reading comics, and I have never lost my love of comic books. I try to pass on that excitement for comic books to others, always looking for that next fantastic read, or discovering an old favorite. Hello, and welcome to episode 30 for May 11, 2022. If you're tuning in for the first time, thank you, and I hope you stick around. No, I really mean that. I want your support. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your support. You new listeners, just please stick around. I try to do a different type of podcast where interviews and episodes are short, usually 30 minutes or less. If you like what you hear, spread the word. Review and rate the podcast. Look at the show notes and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and other social media. If you don't like what you hear, let me know. I want to hear from you about the good the not so good things about the podcast. The more listeners who tune in, the more who might check out a new comic book or help fund a kickstarter campaign. You are free to message me on Instagram, Twitter, or email me at fantasticcomicfan, all one word, at google.com. Today's guest is Darren Henry, publisher and writer for Sick Comics. Their comics are exactly what I've been trying to cover more over the months. Unfortunately, I often cover too much of the big publishers and don't work with the smaller independent publishers as much as I should. These independent publishers are vital to the comic industry because they are a pipeline to new talent, concepts, and unique creativity. However, all of us need to do a better job in supporting them. So again, one more time, it's so important to spread the word about this podcast. Subscribe, recommend, rate and review. Getting bigger only helps indies find more fans, and the whole comic industry will be better for it. Thank you. Let's get on with the rest of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I'm Ron Fleming. Today, I am pleased to bring to the podcast... Darren Henry, who's a writer and publisher of Sit Comics. Now, Henry, when I, uh, Darren, when I bring people into the podcast, I usually ask them your entry into comics. What got you hooked into comics and said, I am now a comic book fan for life? So tell us. Um, it was definitely my preteen years that were when I was first exposed to the stack of Marvel comics. I'm not even sure where they came from or how they ended up in our house, but uh, I have an older <laughs> brother and an older sister, so it may have been something more intended for them, but they were part of my you know, childhood years, and I just completely was enamored with them. And there were, you know, DC, Marvel, I'm not sure what beyond that, but uh, I did obviously soon come across other, like Harvey and, and Archie comics and a few Charlton, and it was just so incredibly fun because back in the 70s and into the early 80s comics were the only sort of visual medium where you could control it like this was pre um vcrs and things like that there was no way you could just access something visually whenever you wanted to except in comics and i think that obviously is one of the reasons that it was so fun to get comics and to just because you could you could programming it was like you could what read them whenever you want to and the power that gave me as a kid was really special and and obviously i was taken with the stories but even before i was really 
processing that this was a shared universe and things like that. I was just really happy to have something that whenever I wanted to, I could open it and, and see the pictures that, that I was really entertained by. Okay. You started Sitcoms. Tell the listeners a little bit about Sitcoms, how it got started, why you did it, and what's going on with the company. Well, it started back in the early 2010s. Um, sort of, I was working in television. I've been doing that since the 90s. I worked on shows that many people have seen, like Seinfeld and Futurama, uh, The Muppets, and I've continued to do that. I lived in England. So sitcoms had become my adult livelihood. And I enjoyed being in that world, and I had no desire to sort of move away from it. But comics had really, I don't know if they, but basically around the 2000s, the type of comics that were being published seemed like they had changed their approach to basically just get comic shops to order. And the comics I was really enjoying, they sort of disappeared from the market. And uh, that was Joe Quesada and Bill Jemus at Marvel specifically. And I just felt like I really had a desire to read the kind of comics that Tom DeFalco was making at the time uh, with the MCU universe. And they were no longer part of Marvel's business plan. So I started thinking I would to make my own comics. I was in, originally intending to make a sort of graphic novella uh, that was, or graphic novel that was sort of a, an anthology of sorts between superhero and humor. And that's, that was sort of how I started to think about um, starting a publishing imprint. And sitcomics made the most sense because of my sitcom background and obviously my love for comics. Gotcha. Um, so what, okay, so your publisher, what made you decide to start writing them? Are you the, and are you the only writer for the company? No, I'm not the only writer, but I am the predominant writer. And that's because I have been entertaining millions of people for 26 years now writing sitcoms. So I have plenty of um, experience as a writer. I've sold ideas and, and scripts to big companies and uh, worked and lived in three different countries making comedy. And uh, I just feel like, you know, the goal for me is to tell stories. And I have been telling those stories on other people's shows for a long time. But with this company, it allows me to sort of take some idea right from the beginning and uh, see it realized. And I was really excited when I started getting artists involved, like uh, this book, Super Suckers, which is about two women that go to a college together and they end up dating the same guy who gives them both an STD called Vampire. So it's a comedy about their lives with this disease that makes them want to drink guys' blood and they have to hire a suck buddy and they do all these fun things. And getting Jeff Schultz, who did Archie comics for many years, especially Betty and Veronica, he had the very most like a Dan DiCarlo style and it was the perfect, it was like casting a show. You had to hire the artist the way you hire an actor and you want it to be a perfect fit. And for me, that was the way that that story needed to be told. So getting him involved and seeing his first sketches and then seeing him bring the script to life was really a, an exceptionally fun thing. And then with regard to the superhero book, The Blue Baron specifically, that was the first one I published. And um, that one was about an uh, iconic superhero who's been around since the 1700s. There's an explosion that causes him to instantly and permanently switch bodies with this 13-year-old kid. And that is like the Freaky Friday fun superhero story. 
So I en enlisted um, Ron Friend, who with Sal Buscema, they were sort of my, some of the favorite people making comics when I was a kid, but also as I was older, the MC2 comics with Tom DeFalco that I mentioned earlier, they were really that sort of modern version of a modern Marvel universe. And when that went away, getting Ron and Sal to be part of what I was doing, it was just extremely exciting. How did you manage to, to hook Ron and Sal to doing stuff for your company? Well, Sal was who I approached initially. And a lot of that stems from the fact that in those years, as, as, a, as I said, I was a kid reading comics. Um, the Power Records were really a big, um, not only was that a visual entertainment, but they came with this soundtrack of actors performing the comics. Hold on one and, second. Um, tell people, um, you and I know about it, but tell them, um, people who are new to comics, a little bit more about the power of records. I might hear from your words. I remember five as a kid, and, um, you know, the whole thing just is like, to new readers are going to be like, huh? So tell me quickly a little bit more about the power of records, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a... It, again, it takes the visual medium and adds sound because it's a book and record. It was like the comic book was edited down, maybe a few pages were taken out, but it was essentially the entire comic book with a with music and sound effects and, and a full audio cast, and they were performing this comic, and it was the Salvi Sema Captain America book, I remember very clearly, um, and I actually ended up getting Sal to sign it when I saw him last year. Uh, because I kept it all those years and it was just like the it was what I described earlier of having the one visual entertainment that you could control this one brought sound as well so it was especially exciting for a kid to be able to like enjoy a superhero adventure with the with the with the you know audio drama quality uh, cast all mixed together and it was something I we would I listen to all the time so Sal was the artist of that Captain America story, it was easy for me to decide I wanted to have him be part of what I was doing. And I reached out to him through his agent. And, uh, you know, he was open to doing things like covers and pinups, but he wasn't drawing stories anymore. And obviously, I was a fan of Ron's work on Spider-Girl for the MC2. And when Sal sort of pointed me in Ron's direction, it wasn't like I wasn't planning to have Ron involved. It was especially nice to have Sal be the person that brought Ron on my radar and vice versa. And uh, again, it was perfect casting. I wanted a superhero universe that felt like the books that I had read in the 70s and 80s, but with the modern sensibility. And Ron had been doing that for over a decade with, with Tom and uh, Sal for the MC2 books. You know, the fact that you have both of those creators willing to work with you on the project, now he says a lot about the company, but also you as a writer and the type of comic book that you're trying to put out there. Which is yeah. one of the reasons why I wanted to focus on, you know, your your comics because they look so different and so unique and very original. Thank you. Uh, it's it's fun to make them. I can tell you that because um, although it's quite an investment financially to to put that much uh, story into every book I do, and that's sixty pages that you get full color you know, in every one of my releases. And they're put out through Diamond Comics on the under the imprint binge books because the binge format gives you 68 page complete story for five bucks. And that really is a massively good deal considering what you normally are getting for what you pay for. Even for a $4 comic, you're only getting maybe a sixth of a story with 20 pages, which I find frustrating. And uh, one of the reasons I sort of followed the European model of the, of the uh, 
you know, graphic album, like call it graphic novella, gets you a lot more for a lot less. You know, I correct me if I'm wrong, but each I, I, you got these blue bear are they um pretty much self-contained stories without too much continuing from issue to issue, so I could pick up number three and that be totally lost. Oh, absolutely. There's no reason that any of the books can't be enjoyed individually. I think that there is a, an expanding or sort of a overall development of the character that you expect from comics, but individually. In print, at least, all the individual releases can be enjoyed without having anything else before or after them. And though, because digital comics can't sell out, which is one of the reasons it's hard to serialize comics, because if you don't have part two, you don't want parts one and three of the same story. So digitally, I split the 60 pages in, uh, into three chapters. And so you can buy the digital versions to just sample them at smaller increments. Um, you can buy those digital releases, or you can wait for the print, print binge books to get the full experience. Do you have much success with digital sales? I feel like um, digital has been really helpful because I think that there are people who just haven't got, who either have gotten past the point where they want to have the hard copies or who just like having something that's more transportable. And I think that it's definitely exposed the books to more, more readers, but I wouldn't say it's where the core demographic or where the core readership is. I definitely think that it's good to do both. I know because I, um, you know, I know older fans like myself and you prefer, you know, the hard copies, but I feel my comic reading digitally. Um, but I believe that there's a place in the industry and the comics that's not going to ever be a choice between either print copies or digital. I really believe there's room for expansion in both areas, and they really should both complement each other and not fight against each other. And that's why I asked you, you know, how is your digital sales overall? So um, how often do you put out a comic book? Well, the binge books come out through Diamond. You know, I put three or four out and then I take a couple of months off then I put a few more out at, at some point it's probably going to be even less consistent than that but I feel like the 60 pages that means I need to get the whole story done before I can even solicit it and sometimes the artists don't work as quickly as the ideas sometimes the uh, the dialogue takes a little longer than a, because of my work commitments in the tv world uh, but usually, you know, we're getting stuff done and we have a, enough releases probably through the end of next year, already sort of close to finish. There's a ton of publishers out there. Do you think overall your company gets a sh fair shake as far as promotions within the industry and get enough people reviewing your comic books? I have not any complaints about the people who have talked about them. I mean, I... I always want more people to be aware of them. And if it comes through an alternate source than myself, then it helps because that feels more authentic and it feels like it's more word of mouth. And it's obvious where you create a new uh, ent entity, it's like, I consider it to be almost like creating a new language because so much of what makes Batman popular isn't the current issue of Batman is so great. It's that so many other people speak Batman already. That language is so prevalent in the world of entertainment and Spider-Man. So you can say there's a new Spider-Man comic without having to pitch what Spider-Man is. 
without having to pitch what Batman is. You can, and with with my books, where I say, oh, it's Blue Baron, it's like it's like I'm speaking a foreign language to most people. And you've got to then have not only someone willing to teach that language, but people willing to be taught. And at, you know, that's why I feel like by what I try to do is I make them accessible to kids. And even though kids aren't part of the demographic that goes to comic shops, they're almost always picking up languages more quickly than, than adults. And yes. uh, that's how I sort of want to frame what I'm doing. And, and you know, even though it's an uphill battle, I, I'm happy to talk about it. One thing that does sort of bother me is when people say, oh, there's a lack of this type of book, which is essentially, they essentially go on to describe almost to a T, the Heroes Union or Blue Baron, and they act like nobody's doing it. And I, I find that frustrating because I've hired guys like Roger Stern, David Michelini, and Tom DeFalco all to make books for me. The Roger Stern release was the first one that we put out last summer through Diamond, the Heroes Union, and that had Ron and Sal drawing it as well. So I felt like if you are complaining about the state of modern superhero comics and you are not doing something to help promote either my company or any of the other companies doing the same type of book that you say you want, you're not helping your cause at all. You need to show that Marvel and DC are missing out on money, not your opinions. The money is what they're interested in. And if you can inspire people when you talk about comics to go buy copies of Heroes Union or Blue Baron, you will do more because they'll see, oh, they sold 10,000 or 15,000 or 25,000 of this comic without a character that everybody knows and they're still, you know, that, I want that money. Let's do it. Must be the style of book that they're putting out. Let's make comics in that style. And it's not a complicated economic theory. It's when you succeed at something, others will emulate it. And if my books were more successful, there would probably be a, a, a more determined effort by Marvel or DC to do the style of comics that feel like 70s comics or 80s comics. But there's no incentive to doing it because, you know, the, the audience for what I'm doing is still relatively small. Not that I'm not loving the fact that they're so passionate, but the size is obviously what matters to Marvel and DC. I believe overall for comic books, I actually believe we're living in a golden age because there's so much variety in genres and even different age groups that are being targeted for comic books. Um, there's so much out there. So I really do think that we're actually in the new golden age. There's so much out there, but it's really hard to make certain comic books stand out and, you know, to, hey, this is a good comic and this is good. Um, I don't think there's really, especially since comics allergy um, redid their whole system of integrating into Amazon, they, it's really become a, a, a service really difficult to, to work with as a fan. I used to use that site all the time for new comics. And now it's so hard to find independence and originals and try to help comic books stand out um, from the stuff that DC and Marvel put out all the time. Because I think now DC and Marvel are more interested in sales points and actually telling good stories because a lot of the stories that they put out just don't really seem to matter. There's no ramifications. There's no, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of breadth, but not much depth. Not That's only because what they're doing is so geared toward getting ordered by retailers. It's, it's, it's more about what the experience is for a retailer when they look at this massive 
number of releases and they have to decide what to put their money into. And so much of it is such a gamble and such a risky gamble for them that you can't blame them for, you know, for ordering the way they do. And you can't blame the, especially the big two for, for publishing the way they do, because they know that that, that decision is made within seconds of every release. So they're, they're making that snap decision. And if Marvel is making comics to appeal to readers, they're wasting their time because the retailer is the only one whose money is going to get to their pocket. And, you know, when it was a newsstand distribution, the decision was made by the individual person after they were holding it. And having that, that difference is what makes comics so different now. I mean, you've got people making decisions based on covers. If they read the solicit, they're, they're basing it on whose names are in the credits, not what the story is relative because they haven't read the two chapters before whatever is currently being solicited because they haven't, they're, they're, they're ordering so many months in advance. So there's, there's so many reasons why the system is what it is. I have no ax to grind against it. It makes total sense. It's just, I just choose my own path and my own path is to try to make every story, whatever, you know, I'm more interested in getting the sell through as opposed to the sell in, the sell through to the reader as opposed to the sell in to the retailer. But what else do you have coming out in the next few months? Anything new besides um, Blue Baron? Yeah. Well, the, the second issue of Heroes Union is two thirds completed. And that's the, that means 40 of the 60 pages in that story are basically drawn. Um, that's uh, David Michelini doing his first book with me. And he was a big Avengers writer when I was a kid. And having him be part of this is, again, a real uh, thrill. Uh, Roger Stern is returning to do the fourth story of Blue Baron, which will be out next year. And okay. the Super Suckers, which I've mentioned, uh, is the vampire comedy. There's the fifth issue of that is completely completed. Barbara Macabra's Morbid Museum is going to be out next year. That'll be a full 68 page release for the first time. And that has Al Milgram doing a horror two horror stories neil vokes doing a couple of stories val merrick also drawing a, a rather fun 18 page story um mike vosberg so a lot of these guys who i was a fan of as a kid are putting new stories out and it's been really fab fabulous and that's a horror anthology and the host is like the tales from the crypt type horror host but she's called barbara macabra and she's basically a reanimated supermodel who narrates these very dark stories in a rhyming style that keeps them light. So it's like Dr. Seuss meets Stephen King, that kind of gotcha. thing. And that's gotcha. been proving to be, I had a special um, San Diego Comic-Con release of a 32 page version of that. And that's almost always one of my top sellers. And I think people really just enjoy the lightness and darkness combined in that. And I think that when that gets into the regular shops, I think it's going to do very well. Okay, Darren, I want to thank you um, for coming out to the podcast. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up today? No, I appreciate your giving me the time to talk about what I do, Ron. And, uh, you know, I do feel like if, uh, if a person listening to this was a fan of, of comics when they were still sold on Spinneracks, or if they have youngsters in their lives who they want to expose to something fun and original and also accessible, they should try binge books. Um, they're always going to be fully self-contained stories that they can enjoy. And the rating system at the bottom right is 
one of the things they can use to decide whether they should buy it or not. It's like with television, time slot tells you the later the hour, the more mature the content. So I have a seven o'clock line of, of titles that are family hour, basically. They're perfectly yeah. great for anyone. That's the headset and Super Sleepy. And Super Sleepy is like a Harvey Comics type book. The eight o'clock books are the superhero action hour. And that's the Blue Baron, the Heroes Union, and another title called Startup, which is about an unusual superhero, a single mom who takes an experimental diet drug that makes her the fastest woman alive. Um, and then Headhunter, which will be out later this year through Diamond. The nine o'clock titles are like the darker ones or the edgier ones for teens and up. And that's the Super Suckers title about two women that get an STD called Vampire. Z People, which is a zombie comedy that will be out in time for Halloween this year. And um, the Morbid Museum, which I mentioned just now. So it's a really nice variety. And I think that if anyone listening to this gives any of them a shot, you're going to enjoy it. Gary, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. There'll be uh, information on the show notes and also on the Fantastic Comic Fan website. I hope you come back again, either to talk about sitcoms or something else in general, Gary. Thanks so much for joining the podcast this time around. Thank you, Ron. I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, a fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.